0: chapter sixteen of rose mather a tale by mary jane holmes this librivox recording is in the public domain sixteen news direct from jimmy that night as rose sat alone in her cheerful boudoir musing upon the strange events which had occurred within the last few months a letter was brought to her bearing her mother's handwriting it had passed hers on the road and rose tore it open startling as a soiled tear-stained note dropped from the inside upon the floor intuitively she felt that it was from jimmy and catching it up she read the homesick heartsick, sick remorseful cry of penitence and contrition which the weary rebel boy had at last sent to his mother stubbornness and proud reserve could hold out no longer and he had written confessing his error and begging earnestly for the forgiveness he knew he did not deserve i am not all bad he said and on that quiet morning when beneath the cover of the virginia woods i lay watching the union soldiers coming so bravely on there was a dizziness in my brain and a strange womanly feeling at my heart while a sensation i cannot describe thrilled every nerve when i saw in the distance the stars and stripes waving in the summer wind how i wanted to warn them of their danger to bid them turn back from the snare so cunningly devised and how proud i felt of the federal soldiers when contrasting them with ours i fancied i could tell which were the boston boys and there came a mist before my eyes as i thought how your dear hands and those of little rose had possibly helped to make some portion of the dress they wore you know about the battle you read it months ago and wept perhaps as you thought of jimmy firing at his own brother it mightn't be but mother i did not i scarcely fired at all and when i was compelled to do so to avoid suspicion it was so high that neither the wounded nor the dead can accuse me as their murderer and i'm glad now that it is so it makes my prison-bed softer to know there is no stain of blood upon my soul poor tom i dare say, has written to you of our encounter in the woods but he does not know the shock it was to me to meet him there and know i could not help him dear tom my heart aches more for him than for myself for the richmond prison guards are not like those who keep watch over us there are humane people there kind tender hearts which feel for any one in distress but the jailers the common soldiers and the rabble are not i fear as considerate as they might be many of them have been made to believe the war entirely of the north's provoking that hamlin is a mulatto and lincoln a foul-hearted knave whose whole aim is to set the negroes free but enough of southern politics it will all come clear at last and the star-spangled banner wave again over every revolted state write to me mother say you forgive your rebel boy say that when i am exchanged as i hope to be i may come home and that you will not turn away from your sinful erring jimmy there was a message of love for rose and then the letter closed with one last touching entreaty that the mother would forgive her child and take him back again to her confidence and love of course she'll do it rose said vehemently and seizing a pen and paper she wrote to will enclosing a note to jimmy full of pardon and tender love bidding him when he should be released come directly to rockland where their mother should be waiting for him and were she forgetting all the past would nurse him back to health Nearly a week went by, and then there came a letter from Will, telling how he had visited the rebel Jimmy in his prison, and Rose wept frantically as she read the particulars of that interview when her brother first met the sister's husband, of whom he had never heard. I found him sitting apart from the others, William wrote, apparently absorbed in disagreeable reflections, for there was an abstracted look upon his face and deep wrinkles upon his forehead. If he had not been pointed out to me, I should have known him by his striking resemblance to your family the carleton features could not be mistaken particularly the proud curve about the mouth and the arching of the eyebrows while i recognized at once the soft curling hair and brilliant complexion which you will remember once attracted me toward a certain little girl who is now all the world to the old bachelor will but this isn't a love-letter darling i'm only going to tell you how sorry your brother looked sitting there alone in that noisy multitude whose language and manners are not the most refined that could be desired and how my heart warmed toward the solitary being and forgave him at once for all his errors past very haughtily he bowed to me when i was introduced and then in silence awaited to hear my errand the proud curve around his mouth deepening as he surveyed me with a hauteur which under ordinary circumstances would have annoyed me exceedingly as it was i could almost fancy myself the prisoner and he the free man he seemed so cool so collected while i was embarrassed and uncertain how to act is your visit prompted by curiosity to see how a so-called rebel can bear confinement or did you come on business he asked and then all my embarrassment was at an end i came i said partly at your sister's request and partly to ascertain how much you are willing to do toward the attainment of your freedom i do not think he understood the last he only caught at the words your sister and grasping my arm he whispered hoarsely what of my sister have you seen her do you know her and does she hate me now i told him i was your husband and with quivering lip he asked me is she well my precious little rose whom i remember almost as a child and mother has she cast me off oh if she only knew how i am punished for my sin she would forgive her wayward boy here he broke down in such a wild storm of sobs and tears that the inmates of the prison gathered in groups around him their looks indicative of their surprise at witnessing so much emotion in one who up to that moment had appeared haughtily indifferent to everything around him with an authoritative gesture he waved them off and then passing him your note i too walked away leaving him alone while he read it but even where i stood i could hear the smothered sobs he tried in vain to suppress i am inclined to think he is right in saying that joining the confederate army was the best lesson he ever learned i am sure he must be greatly changed from the reckless daring boy whose exploits you have described so often he is very anxious to swear allegiance to the stars and stripes even though he should be doomed to prison life for five more weary months and as i am not a mere private now and i have considerable influence in washington i hope ere long to write that he is free and on his way to rockland whither he will go first jimmy expresses the utmost sympathy for tom and says he would gladly take his place if that could be for he fears the inmates of those richmond tobacco houses are not always cared for as he has been at washington poor tom i hope he will be among the list of the exchanged and if so you may expect soon to welcome both your brothers no wonder rose wept tears of joy over his letter while her thoughts went after her rebellious but repentant brother nor tarried there for farther to the south another weary captive pined and every fibre of her heart bled with sympathy for tom poor tom she always called him and as the days of sickening suspense went by she grew so nervous and so ill that her mother came up from boston to attend her while annie shook off her own feelings of weary languor and did for rose the same offices which rose had once done for her i do so wish you had been my sister rose said to her one day when she had been kinder than usual i know i should be a better woman and so would all of us annie made no reply except to twine around her fingers the coil of chestnut hair lying in such profusion upon the pillows for a few moments, Rose lay perfectly still, with her eyes fixed upon the paper bordering, as if counting the fanciful flowers, but her thoughts were intent upon a far different subject. Turning to her mother, she suddenly asked, "'How old is Jimmy, twenty-three or twenty four? Twenty three last May,' was the reply, and with a rather troubled expression upon her face, Rose continued, "'Will is thirteen years older than I am,' and the little curly head shook doubtfully what are you talking about mrs carleton asked but rose did not answer at once there was another interval of silence and then starting quickly rose called out mother don't you remember that affair of jimmy's ever so long ago when he was a boy at school in new london there was a little girl that he fancied and you took him home for fear of what would come of it when you found she was poor and nobody glancing quickly at annie who was attentively examining the hem stitch of the fine linen pillow-case mrs Carlton said reprovingly you should not parade our family matters before strangers my daughter oh annie is no stranger rose answered laughingly she is one of our folks now besides she is not enough interested in the love affair of a seventeen years old boy ever to repeat it love affair mrs Carlton rejoined a little scornfully not very much love about it i imagine she was stopping with her aunt at the pequot house and jimmy saw her a few times passing himself off by another name than his own if he had cared for this child he would never have done that he seems to have a penchant for assuming names rose rejoined playfully he called himself john brown at washington while to this little pequot girl he was let me see what was it can't you think mother rose was bent on talking about jimmy and his pequot girl and knowing that she could not stop her mrs carleton replied richard lee or something like that oh yes dick i remember now and her name was what was it mother it makes my headache so trying to recall it if ever i knew i've forgotten mrs Carlton said and after trying in vain to think rose dismissed the name but not the subject how angry jimmy was she continued when you brought him home and how awfully he swore it makes you shudder don't it and she turned to annie who had shivered either with cold or horror at jimmy's profanity he was a bad boy once but i most know he's better now maybe mother this was a real nice girl and if you'd let jimmy alone he might have become attached to her and she have been his wife by this time then he would not have joined the rebel army don't you think you and tom were a little too severe on jimmy sometimes perhaps so was the faint response as mrs carleton looked out upon the wintry landscape seeing there visions of a handsome boyish tearful face flushed with anger and entreaty as its owner begged of her not to take him back to boston which he hated but leave him where he was saying that the little girl at the Pequot house had already done him more good than all the sermons preached from the pulpits of the bay state capital but she had disregarded jimmy's wishes and from that time forward he had pursued a course of recklessness ending at last in prison with a half-regretful sigh mrs carleton thought of all this and in her heart she blamed herself for some of her boy's disobedience but it could not now be helped and with another sigh she turned toward rose still speculating as to what the result might have been had jimmy been suffered to follow up his first and so far as she knew only fancy what do you suppose would have happened if jimmy had stayed in new london and this scheming aunt whom mother feared far more than the Pequot, had stayed there too she asked of annie forgetting that the particulars of the affair had not been repeated but it did not matter for annie answered all the same she was sitting now with her back to mrs carleton while so far as rose was concerned her face was in the shadow consequently rose could not see its expression as she replied nothing probably would have come of it i imagine the pequot as you call her was not more than fourteen and you know how easily we forget the fancies of that age she was undoubtedly pleased with the evident admiration of your handsome brother and watched anxiously it may be for the evenings when with others of his comrades he came to the hotel but a closer acquaintance would have resulted in her knowing the deception about the name and after that she would not have cared for him if he really liked her he would not have imposed upon her thus She's forgotten him ere this and is probably a married woman. Perhaps so, Rose replied. I wish I knew. Jimmy didn't mean to deceive her long. He took the name Dick Lee partly in sport and partly because he didn't wish his teacher to know how often Jim Carlton was at the Pequot house when he thought him somewhere else. After he began to like her and saw how pure and good and truthful she was, he hated to tell her, but had made up his mind to do so when mother took him away. He might have written annie said and she may have been silly enough to cry over his abrupt and unexplained departure mother wouldn't let him write rose rejoined laughingly she watched him closely and got tom interested too poor jimmy i wonder if that girl ever thinks of him now she may but i dare say she is glad your mother took him home she has outlived all that fancy and annie's white fingers on one of which the wedding ring was shining worked nervously together as if bent on tormenting both her auditors by talking of jimmy rose kept on wondering how he looked if she should know him what he would say how he would act and if he ever would come i'm so glad you are here annie she said for you do everybody good to come in contact with and i want you to talk to jimmy will you annie only smiled but her cheeks burned with excitement and rose was about asking her if her head didn't ache when a letter was brought in bearing the washington postmark eagerly rose broke it open screaming with joy as she read that jimmy had been released had taken the oath of allegiance and was coming home to rockland he'll be here let me see thursday on the three o'clock train that's to-morrow oh i'm so glad and in her delight the little lady forgot that for the last week she had been playing sick and leaping upon the carpet danced about the room kissing alternately her mother and annie and asking if they were ever so pleased in their lives oh i forgot she suddenly exclaimed as she saw the great tears dropping from annie's eyes and guessed of what she was thinking i did not mean to make you sorry contrasting jimmy's coming home with that of poor george dear annie don't cry and the chubby arms closed coaxingly round the now sobbing annie's neck don't cry you'll like jimmy i know and if you don't i know you'll like dear tom he's perfectly splendid and he gave his place to george you know yes annie knew but it only made her tears flow faster as she thought of rose so full of hope her husband yet alive and her brothers coming home while she without a friend on whom she could lean was alone in her desolate widowhood excusing herself from the room she sought her own pleasant chamber and there alone poured out her grief into the ear of one who almost since she could remember had been the recipient of all her sorrows and annie had far more need for help than rose suspected she could not stay there and meet Jimmy carlton face to face after what she had heard while a return to the lonely cottage seemed impossible widow simms home suggested itself to her mind but if the prisoners were exchanged and isaac came home she might be an intruder there and besides what truthful reason could she give to rose for her strange conduct it was a sad dilemma in which annie found herself so suddenly placed and more than an hour of solitary and prayerful reflection found her still uncertain as to the course duty would dictate in the present emergency it seemed expedient that she should go away, and when in the evening she joined Rose, who chanced to be alone, she suggested leaving her house, at least during Jimmy's stay, and going either to the cottage in the hollow or to stay with Widow Sims. In the utmost astonishment, Rose listened to the proposal and then replied, You go away because Jimmy is coming. Preposterous! Why, I want you here on his account if nothing more. Besides, where will you go? widow sims has taken susan to live with her at john's request and that little teeny place will not begin to hold three women with hoops you forget the widow does not wear them annie suggested her heart beginning to sink notwithstanding her playful words yes i know rose replied but you are not going there if you are in the way here with jimmy you'd surely be more in the way there with isaac don't you see and rose looked as if this argument were altogether conclusive i can go home annie said faintly the cottage is mine till the first of april rose coloured and hesitated somewhat as if a little uncertain how what she had to say on this subject might be received then resolving to put a bold face upon it she said i ought to have told you before i suppose don't you remember the day you had the sick headache more than a week ago well while you were asleep a man came to know if you'd let him into the cottage till spring as he was obliged to leave where he was and could find no other place i did not wish to wake you and as i knew you would not care i said yes on my own responsibility and sent bridget down to pack all your things in the chamber as he only wanted the lower rooms she put them away real carefully bridget did for i've been to see myself rose added quickly as she saw the colour mounting to annie's cheeks and feared she might be indignant at the liberty And is he there? Annie asked, conquering all emotion and speaking in her natural tone. Yes, he's there, Rose answered. You are not angry, are you? He's a nice man, and so is his wife. I am not angry, Annie replied, but more sorry than I can express, though, had I been consulted, I should undoubtedly have done as you did. Oh, I'm so glad, for it has bothered me a heap wondering what you'd say, Rose cried, throwing her arms around Annie's neck and now you'll stay with us for you see you have nowhere else to go shan't she mother and she appealed to mrs carleton who had just come in of course mrs graham will stay was mrs carleton's reply for during the few days of her sojourn at rockland she had become greatly interested in the sweet young annie and already foresaw the benefit she would be to rose who needed some such influence to keep her in check mrs carleton was proud and at first her daughter's growing intimacy with the wife of a mechanic had given her pride a pang but a closer acquaintance had dispelled the foolish prejudice for she saw in the gentle annie unmistakable marks of education and refinement while she was not insensible to the charm thrown around the beautiful stranger by the lovely christian character which shone so brightly now in the dark hour of affliction coming nearer to her and laying her hand in a motherly way upon her pale brown hair she said We all want you, Mrs. Graham, and as Rose, by an act which I will admit was too presuming, has virtually closed your own doors against you, I see no alternative but for you to stay with us. Rose needs you, and as she says, you may do Jimmy good, while Tom, if he ever comes, will be glad to meet the wife of one in whom he was greatly interested. After this, Annie offered no further remonstrance, though in her heart she hoped Jimmy's residence in Rockland would not be very long. Of Tom she had no dread she rather wished to see him than otherwise for he had been so kind to george and in fancy she had enshrined him as a middle-aged greyish-haired man stooping a little perhaps and withal very fatherly and venerable in his appearance this was tom but jimmy handsome saucy-eyed mischievous jimmy putting angleworms worms in rose's bosom and frightening the little pequot with a mud-turtle found on new london beach was a very different thing and though trusting much to the lapse of years and change of name annie shrank nervously from the dreaded tomorrow, which was to bring the rebel home End of chapter 16